Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 19th, 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to all the free audios at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see a whole bunch of sites listed there. These are the official sites. If you find any problems downloading from the comm site, try one of the alternate sites. Because sometimes a lot of folk go into the comm at the same time. There's thousands and thousands of that. And it kind of jams up a bit. So anyway, remember all these sites listed also have transcripts for print up in English. And if you want transcripts of the talks in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and help yourself from the ones offered there. Remember too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can donate as well. Donations are really, really awfully welcome. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. It's the same price, I think, as a regular post postal uh, order. And you can use PayPal and some people send cash. Across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. Remember, straight donations are welcome. And what I try to do on the broadcast is not only give you uh, where we are today, and sometimes we need that. We just have to really point it out where we are today and how we are, because we're, also, we're always being changed, too, by the culture industry and special uh, systems that run all of us. We think we're, we're just evolving by ourselves. Not, there's no such thing as evolving by ourselves. The, the powerful people who are at war with the world and who've almost won it, actually, have... Um, have given us cultural changes and promoted them through education, movies, and all the television programs that you watch. That is the agenda. And we're all dysfunctional now. Most folk are truly, truly dysfunctional. And, of course, the ones who planned all this wrote about it back in the 40s and 50s, the last century, like Bertrand Russell, hedonistic, narcissistic, uh, the me generation. And when you're all defunct and you can't get on with anybody else, you don't have children, which suits them too, because they don't want you having children. And apart from that, they, they can also control you so easily then. There's no one to stand up for anyone else. And that goes as far back as the 1920s with H.G. Wells talking about that part of it and uh, the Fabian Society. So we're, we're living through planned changes and society is always the last to know because the media is not there to uh, tell you really any of this. Their job is to promote all the changes and make you think it's all happening from yourselves. As I mentioned last week too, how even the music industry too, as far back as the 60s and 70s, they're coming out with um, talking about my generation, making each little bunch of high school students come out thinking that somehow they were making the changes themselves and nothing was further from the truth when you saw the people who were promoting all of this in tweed suits and around 80 years of age. These are the guys that were leading all the, the pop industry, then the rock industry. Still the same today. Same with, it, with uh, Hollywood too, at the top, hierarchy. So anyway, we have been through our planned war and most folk are dysfunctional, 
and our views are given to us, our opinions are downloaded into us, as Brzezinski said, and most folk don't even know that that's happened to them. They truly think they've chosen the path for themselves, but you haven't. You've been presented with the choices that are allowed, and then and, and all of those are promoted, and you take your pick, basically. All of it leads to a form of nihilism, because that's the stage we're in now. We're nihilistic. Most folk don't believe in anything except having fun, even when the walls are falling down around them, and so are the banks, supposedly, although they're really just moving offshore or elsewhere. But anyway, that's the system you're living through. Planned a long time ago, lots of people who helped plan it wrote books about it, and I've mentioned lots of their names and the books uh, in the past few hundred uh, shows I've done. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix and just talking about how culture is organized and, and changed by plan, uh, far-reaching plans in fact. They call them waves in fact. At the top they call them waves and even in theosophy they use the term waves for changing culture. Uh, the communists used it in the Soviet system, waves, when it took so many years to change one particular part of society. Meanwhile, they, they unleash a whole bunch of waves to affect all of society and all, all the parts, the intricate parts that make it a society, even a, an individual human being. And these waves start off very slowly, and we see them all the time, the ones for the next 50 years, 100 years out now, all these little new waves, you see. And we don't take much notice of them, but it's in the subconscious and the youngsters growing up will certainly get the next wave and the next wave and the next wave. But uh, it's to change society. Now, part of this agenda, too, is depopulation, as we well know. And a lot of countries that had national health-type systems in were not meant to succeed. In fact, the system that's coming in, this global system, it truly is about the haves and the have-nots. And the haves have pretty well an awful, awful lot, an awful lot. There's no middle class pretty well. It's just being decimated. And that, again, is the is part of the plan. It used to amaze me, too, to read the old communist authors talking about the, the need to decimate the middle classes. They really hated them so much. And uh, they truly believe in a world system where just an elite should run the world and everybody else beneath them is a kind of peasant. They can be happy peasants, mind you, as long as you get some some electricity to charge your batteries so you can walk about uh, texting everybody all day long. And uh, But you can be happy slaves in such a system at the moment. But the National Health Service systems were meant to bring us down because they want privatization across the world. And there'll be one uh, company eventually will run all the medical systems in the world. That's also on the cards. So anyway, as they take down all the National Health Service systems, which used to work awfully well when they were first came out, uh, here's what's happening now. It's just lawyers are planning a class action on behalf of 23 families who contacted them for shocking claims of indignities and the most basic feelings and care. This is in Britain. They believe the families who have contacted them so far about care at Alexandra Hospital in Redditch, West Midlands, may represent the tip of the iceberg. Now, this is the coming Obamacare for the States, by the way. The number of potential claims make it the biggest group action of its type since hundreds died, hundreds, 
in appalling conditions. This is at one hospital, Stafford Hospital, leading to a public inquiry, which, which is expected to criticise the wider feelings of the National Health Service and of regulators' failures to promote or protect patients when it reports next year. So they include a 35-year-old father of four whose family say wasted away because staff didn't know how to fit a feeding tube. And they just left him day after day, week after week, and he starved to death. You understand, this is what we saw too in the Soviet system, uh, where people pretended to work and the state pretended to pay them. And uh, when you add a hedonistic society to that too, Narcissistic, it's all about me. The staff, you can't get the staff to do anything. That's the system we look, and what a rapid change from the 70s when they were very efficient, very efficient, and they, they took care and so on. Not now. That's the, that's the personalities of the young ones who've grown up and who are now in the system. Another one was a retired National Health Service worker who died after allegedly being left without food or crucial heart medication. A man who fell into coma after contracting E. coli, apparently from a filthy catheter. The claims include allegations that vulnerable patients were left to starve when trays were left out of reach. Nobody bothered to put them within the reach. While others left in soaking bedsheets. Mind you, a lot of them can't even speak English over there. Official statistics show death rates at Worcester Acute Hospitals Trust, which runs the hospital, were 10% higher than the national average in 2010, meaning there were 239 deaths more than would be expected. The legal action comes amidst concerns about the standards of care for hospital patients and failures to protect the vulnerable. Earlier this year, a report by the Health Services Ombudsman condemned the service for its inhumane treatment of the elderly. They don't give a damn about the elderly because they've been taught all through school that they have no function, they're all senile. You know, that's how all old folk are, they're senile. And that was the intergenerational gap that Ruben and other ones in the States really promoted during the 60s as they created the generation gaps. You don't communicate with older folk. doesn't have nothing worth saying. That's what they were told. And their ideas are contaminated. The investigation found hospitals were failing to meet the most basic needs with men left hungry, unwashed, or given the wrong drugs because of the casual indifference of staff. And it says here, uh, the legal action facing the trust comes after the Care Quality Commission published the findings of spot check visits to 100 hospitals to inspect care of the elderly in October. Half were found to be failing basic standards. Major concerns were found at two including Alexander Hospital, where feelings were so fundamental that it was warned in May that it was breaking the law. So many patients on its wards were left at risk of dehydration, no water, you see. The doctors were forced to prescribe, prescribe water for them. I hope, I hope they could read it in English too, you know. I'm not kidding you, you see, they've been hiring people straight, off, straight in from other countries who, who can't even speak the language. All intentionally, it's priority hiring. Since then, almost two dozen families have contracted lawyers about cases, while some have been fighting almost ten years for explanation from the hospital. Other cases in the group occurred as recently as July. And um, so it's obviously abuse of human rights and all the rest of it, and a whole bunch of laws broken too. It's also been instructed by 17 families and considering six further cases. So the common themes we've encountered include patients being left dehydrated and starved, feeding tubes not given to patients who could not swallow normally, food being plonked out of reach of patients, and others left to eat with their fingers because they weren't given any cutlery. Buzzers went unanswered. Several patients were left sitting and soaking bedclothes for hours or in their own feces. See, the Soviet Union, you had to bribe the nurses at the end before the wall came down. You had to bribe them. 
because I know folk who went and visited the relatives and yet had to literally bribe them to, or pay them to change the bedsheets. Chris Grandy, a father of four, was just 35 when he died, four days after being admitted to the hospital last Christmas with breathing problems. His widow, Sonia, says her husband, who suffered from spinal muscular atrophy, was left to starve because hospital staff did not know how to fit a feeding tube for him after he was admitted on Boxing Day. They don't know anything. They still claim they don't. His body was pumped with fluid to address dehydration, but nurses failed to heed her warning. Their husband's condition meant he would quickly weaken without food, so didn't think about food, right? And uh, Mrs. Grand, for two, said her husband was stripped of his basic dignity. Um, when an elderly man fell from the, the bed next uh, to, door to this woman's husband, uh, that the staff were slow to help him up, and no one checked for any head injury, she said. Two hours later, nurse returned and found him dead, only to laugh. Only, I'll read that bit again for the hard of thinking. Two hours later, a nurse returned and found him dead, only to, rat, to laugh. And Mrs. Grandin and comments that the dead body was not what she'd come looking for. The former personal assistant said she felt haunted by her husband's screams, as his condition worsened. This, this is Britain. Britain is way beyond third world country status now. It's way beyond it. It's intentional, as I say. It's intentional. That's part of the war, you see, on the people. Very intentional. Interesting, we've all got, always got war for, money for wars. It just falls out to the, the, the back seat of uh, congressmen's chairs when a war comes up. They just find all this money that was, oh, we didn't know that was there. And, and we, we would go, but when it comes to, for the people themselves who pay all the taxes, they get nothing back at all. Quite something, eh? But, um, what can you do? That is the, the nature now of the generation that's been indoctrinated like this. All they live for is partying and, and having it off at the weekends. That's all they live for. Now, China is to control Mother Nature. It steps up man-made rain initiative. It's going to go world, uh, nationwide by 2015. China's hoping to use its economic scientific prowess as it works to help fight drought conditions affecting parts of the country. Is turning its attention towards the sky as it works to coax Mother Nature into being more agreeable. The world's second biggest economy is planning to begin a program that will artificially increase precipitation across the country before 2015. Countries all over the world have had to contend with fluctuations in temperature and weather patterns, prompted by a period of changing global climate. Oh, here we go again. With the worldwide population continuing to grow at a fast clip, officials in China have struggled to ensure demand for food does not outstrip supplies. A drought last year eroded stockpiles of exceedingly important raw materials, including grain selling raw material prices surging, and the Chinese officials are hoping to forestall food crises in the future. If the program is successful, other countries that are also battling the whims of Mother Nature could employ it as a means of augmenting crop yields. Well, we've had, we've had the weather modification uh, on a daily basis since 1998 in the West, for those who haven't bothered looking up. And... The Club of Rome, I've mentioned the Club of Rome so many times because it's a premier think tank who helps plan the future. Again, they create the, all the, uh, the waves, we call, they call them, and, uh, for cultural, social changes, um, all kinds of changes in society. And they pass them on to specialists, uh, round table circles, who then find ways to put it into the media and to work out the proper wording 
And see, wording is very important for propaganda, especially indoctrination. And certain little catchphrases become fixed in your mind, and you'll hear them all through your life. And you, you begin to actually respond to them very easily, like a robot, uh, after a while. And you don't really think about it at all. Then is it really real, or is it bogus, or whatever? And who put it in your head in the first place, and why? Anyway, it says, humanity has made immense progress over the last decades. The starting point for settling a future's agenda can be anchored in a healthier, better educated, more prosperous, and better informed and connected world than ever. That's, that's their spiel to keep everybody slumbering. So, we're an evolutionary crossroad. Here we go at this evolutionary thing. We're evolving, you know. The choice has been between a, a perfect storm of progressively deepening crisis and expanding perspectives of unprecedented opportunities. It's just like the Council on Foreign Relations spiel, because a lot of these guys are also members. Actually, they're all members of the CFR as well. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, reading an article from the Club of Rome. Now the Club of Rome, as I say, is a premier think tank for the United Nations, and they also advise, advise government. In other words, they tell them they're marching, give them their marching orders, really. And, uh, because they work for the big boys who own the world. And remember the books that they put in the path, the limits to growth and all the rest of it. And, uh, they actually admitted that in the 1970s they were given a job to find some way to control everyone and every nation. And, and, and bring the world together globally. So they, they hit upon the idea of global warming and famine and, and droughts and starvation, and that would fit the bill. That's what they said, that would fit the bill. It was just dreamed up by them. Very important think tank. Anyway, here they go, and you can listen to their spiel because they, they, they always have uh, two ways of saying things within the same context, the same paragraphs. The recent failure of collective action to address international financial instability, climate change, unemployment and food insecurity seem to justify pessimism, but this failure has been the result of a piecemeal fragmentary approach to both understanding and addressing the issues. So their answer is the same thing as the CFR came up with. The root causes of the crisis we're witnessing rest on outmoded theoretical concepts. There you go. Values and institutions. So values, very important, and institutions. The remedy lies in the formulation of a new theory appropriate to the radically different conditions of the 21st century. Commitment to progressive values, pro- progress, you see, they call pro- pro- whenever they say progress, it's their agenda, which was written uh, over 100 years ago. And um, it says to, that integrate individual freedom, that's so you can play yourselves, and equitable cooperation that's, that's you basically spreading your wealth and everything else to minimize the welfare and well-being of, being of all and establishment of more effective national and global institutions. Last week I read the article from the, from the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, and it's the same thing. We've got to bring in new national and global institutions, and they should advise nations. In other words, be global. There's a growing understanding and an increasing consensus of the kind of world we want to live in. Now, who are we? 
I love it's so marketing oriented too. They always use we like you're included in this decision. You know. The global society which has moved beyond hunger and suppression, a world that manages uh, to live off the resources which the finite planet and the infinite human ingenuity provide, an equitable society which lives sustainably and is a lot better off and happier than today. This is the same bunch, by the way, that advocated deindustrialization of the USA back in the 70s. And you can see where you are with it now. The vision of the Club of Rome is one of an enlightened world guided by values of cooperation. Like who who will go into the suicide chamber now and cut the population? I decided that bit there because they've also also promote that too. The world in 2052 could be a much safer and resilient place than it is today. Humanity has the opportunities, the tools, the science, technology and insight to overcome the systemic crisis and to move into a better world. Whether we manage to do so will depend on each one of us. So there's a lot of more links off of this I'll put up tonight anyway, and you can go through the other stuff, as I say, cutting the population by a massive amount, and especially the unfit, you know, the ones who don't do too much for this new progressive society uh, that they want to bring in, and you can read it for yourself. Now also, too, the, I noticed that um, it was Havel, who was uh, the big, uh, big prime minister in Czechoslovakia, he, he died, and I said, too, that in the Guardian, they use his death actually, because he always spoke out against communism, and the Guardian's using his death, now that he's dead, to say, but look at all the good things that communism brought in. You know, it brought them all together, all the peoples together. It standardized the system, that's why it was opposed to, it standardized dozens of countries that it overtook and conquered, and gave women's, women's rights and all that too, and yada yada yada. So they use his death to, to promote communism. But when you read um, what is, I think it was last year, it was 1990 actually, his, his address to the nation, he says a lot of good stuff. He says, um, he talked about his country. He says, this is 1990. He says, our country is not flourishing. The enormous creative and spiritual potential of our nations is not being used sensibly. That's when they're dominated by the communist elite who lived like Orwell's elite. Uh, they got everything they wanted, the best food, everything, but everyone else was getting kind of low-quality rubbish at the bottom, even to eat, like, like, like we are today. Entire branches of industry are producing goods that are of no interest to anyone, where we're lacking the things we need. A state which calls itself a worker's state humiliates and exploits the workers. Our obsolete economy is wasting the little energy we have available. A country that once could be proud of the educational level of its citizens spends so little on education that ranks today as 72nd in the world. We polluted the soil, rivers and forests bequeathed to us by our ancestors, and we have today the most contaminated environment in Europe. Adults in our country die earlier than in most European countries. That was true. In some of the, the old shots of the Soviet Union, they were just dumping all their toxic wastes and, 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 and in the top of land all over the place, sludge and everything. Allow me a small personal observation. Since when I flew recently to Bratislava, I found some time during discussions to look out of the plane window. I saw the industrial complex of Sloan Vant Chemical Factory and the giant Petrolka housing estate right behind it. The view was enough for me to understand that for decades our statesmen and political leaders did not look or didn't want to look out of the windows of their planes. No study of statistics available to me would enable me to understand faster and better the situation in which we find ourselves. But here he goes on and he says, but all of this is still not the main problem. The reason I'm reading this is because, you see, we're going into this, you see. 
The worst thing is that we live in a contaminated moral environment. Now, communists don't like moral because we're always morally evolving, according to them, you see. And I'll read this out, this one a paragraph because he tells you what was wrong in society. And it's, we have all the symptoms of the sickness here today. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article here by a man who went through communism. He was, he was eventually got elected to a higher position afterwards, but he mentions what was wrong with it all. And you can see, as I read through this, that you compare it to today in all the, the so-called Western countries or the first world, I don't know what it calls first world countries anymore, but anyway, he says, but this, this is, all this is not the main problem. He's describing how it was. The worst thing is we live in a contaminated moral environment. We fell morally ill because we came used to saying something different from what we thought. It's all PC, political correctness, you see, and moral relativity. We learned not to believe in anything, to ignore one another, to care only about ourselves. Concepts such as love, friendship, compassion, humility, or forgiveness lost their depth and dimension, and for many of us they represented only psychological peculiarities, or they resembled gone astray greetings from ancient times, a little ridiculous in the era of computers and spaceships. Only a few of us were able to cry out loudly that the powers that be, that's the big elites that were running the show, should not be all-powerful. Does that ring a bell, what's happening here? And that the special farms which produced ecologically pure and top-quality food just for them, that was all the ones at the top, right? Kind of like here today. Should send, send their produce to schools, children's homes, and hospitals if her agriculture was unable to offer them to all. The previous regime, armed with its arrogant and intolerant ideology, is very familiar to us, terrorism, 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 you ought to give everything up, oh... Reduce man to a force of production and nature to a tool of production. If this is in this, it attacked both their various substance and their mutual relationship. It reduced gifted and autonomous people, skillfully working in their own country, to the nuts and bolts of some monstrously huge, noisy and stinking machine whose real meaning was not clear to anyone. It could not do more than slowly but inexorably wear itself out and all its nuts and bolts, it says. For instance, when I talk about the contaminated moral atmosphere, I'm not talking just about the gentlemen who eat organic vegetables and do not look out of the plain windows. I'm talking about all of us. We'd all become used to the totalitarian system. And don't we get used to it very quickly, folks? And accept it as an unchangeable fact. And thus helped it perpetuate itself. In other words, we are all, though naturally to different extents, responsible for the operation of the totalitarian machinery. You must give your consent, you see. None of us in it is just a victim. We're also its co-creators. Why do I say this? It would be very unreasonable to understand the sad legacy of the last 40 years as something alien, which some distant relative bequeathed to us. On the contrary, we have to accept this legacy as a sin we committed against ourselves. Well, no wonder the Guardian the, put the pro-communist uh, spin on it, uh, did what, as they did. They, they don't like these terms like morality and sin and so on. 
we committed against ourselves. If we accept it as such, we will understand that it is up to us all and up to us alone to do something about it. We cannot blame the previous rulers for everything, not only because it would be untrue, but also because it would blunt the duty that each of us faces today, namely the obligation to act independently. Does that ring a bell, that thing stuff I talk about? Freely, reasonably, and quickly. Let us not be mistaken. The best government in the world, the best parliament, and the best president cannot achieve much on their own. and be wrong to expect a general remedy from them alone. Freedom and democracy include participation and therefore responsibility from us all. Well, that's really also what the founding fathers said about the U.S. It would never work unless everyone uh, was involved in it. If you leave it to so-called specialists, you you get screwed. And, And we all have been. So... As I say, so much of that rings true to where we are today. So much of it. So much. Now, we know, all know that the riots are going to come because we've been preparing for them for 30, 40 years with all kinds of SWAT teams and special police and now it's military police and militarized police and etc., etc. Because we're going down the tubes as we're supposed to go as we can, they can squeeze the last tax money out to, to go to China. And we are. I mean, China's buying about, from Iraq about dollars through a deal they made. I think Israel might be too. Two dollars a barrel. Two dollars when everything else is a hundred dollars a barrel. But we must go to China. You see, we're international now and we've got to keep China going. They're, they're the big power machine. Yep. Future riot shields will suffocate protesters. That's nice, isn't it? Future riot shields, the cops will have, will suffocate protesters with low-frequency speakers. It says, it says um, it's not the first crowd control to, uh, tool to use sound waves, but Rayathon, big, big military contractor, patent for a new type of riot shield that produces low-frequency sound waves to disrupt the respiratory tract that suffocates you. And hinder breathing sounds a little scary. You understand that our brain and our body works on very low and and minute, very tiny frequencies, not powerful ones. And you match them. You match parts of the brain with them, you see, the ones that that keep you breathing. You think it's automatic. No, the brain literally tells the lungs when to open and the muscles to to constrict, etc., so you can breathe. Crowd control looks like the LRAD sound cannon uh, emit bursts of loud and annoying sounds that can induce headaches and nausea. But Rayathon's non-lethal pressure shield creates a pulsed pressure wave that resonates the upper respiratory tract of a human, hindering breathing and eventually incapacitating the target. You turn blue and drop. How's that? The, the pattern points out that the sound waves being generated are actually not that powerful, so while protesters might collapse from a lack of oxygen reaching their brains, their eardrums won't be damaged in the process. So, so in other words, you'll be a bit mentally retarded afterwards because you'll lose a few brain cells, but they've got places for you to go, like that hospital I mentioned at the start, you know, where you don't get fed or food or anything, or water. And like Roman soldiers joining their shields to form a large impenetrable wall, these new riot shields can actually uh, be networked together to form a larger acoustical horn, vastly improving the range, power, and effectiveness. In other words, it can be lethal. You know that. There's no word on what the long-term medical implications might be if you find yourself on the wrong side of one of these shields. But imagine unpleasant experiences, not only like being forced, uh, forced choked from afar by Darth Vader, or maybe waterboarded if you're under the water too much, I suppose. But who cares about that? We're all used to that now, isn't it? Torture is normal. Now, I almost fell over when I saw this article until I figured out what it was all about. 
I mean, David I mean, Cameron, who, who supposedly the, the titular head of Britain, you have to go into his ancestry to find out what his, 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 his background is. He, I mean, he was, he was part of the big banking families around Shanghai and Hong Kong and all the dope and all the rest of it. So here he, here he is now, like a chameleon, uh, talking about Christians. He says, Cameron calls for a turn to Christian values as King James Bible turns 400. Yeah, that is, is a, is a man for all seasons. Whoever audience he's talking to, he'll be your man, you know. And he says, mind you, they've, they've been attacking uh, what was the Christianity in Britain for 50 years with the financing of the government to NGOs. And, and those who rule Britain, who aren't Christians at all, uh, have also been heavily involved in the process. Anyway, it says, uh, he's declared that Britain is a Christian country and we should not be afraid to say so. In a speech to make mark the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible, half the places in England you can't mention Christmas or Jesus or anything, it's illegal. <laughs> and the band beat the word BC in Australia and it's to be caught on across the world now, you know. Cameron told Church of England clergy Gardner Oxford that a return to Christian values could counter the country's moral collapse and blamed a passive tolerance of immoral behavior for this summer's riots, Islamist extremism, city excess and Westminster scandals. His words will delight traditionalists in his party and Christian groups that claim believers are increasingly marginalized. Cameron said there were three reasons why the King James Bible was as relevant today as any point in its history. It says, first, the King James Bible has bequeathed a body of language that permeates every aspect of our culture and heritage. Secondly, just as our language and culture is steeped in the Bible, so too is our politics. Well, I don't, uh, what parts of the, the Old Testament they've been reading? Everybody in politics in Britain is involved in scandals. These sex scandals, drug scandals, or both, or embezzlement, and they get off with it. It says, third, we are a Christian country, and we should not be afraid to say so. Let me be clear, I'm not in any way saying that we have to have another faith or no faith, as some, or, or having it is somehow wrong. I know in full respect that many people in this country do not have a religion. Be, they were, I say they've been working for 50 years to make sure you don't. Moral relativity is religion. And I'm also incredibly proud that Britain is home to many different faith communities who do so much to make our country stronger. But what I'm saying is that the Bible has helped to give Britain a set of values and morals which make Britain what it is today. The Bible hasn't made Britain what it is today. It did up until about 1940 or so, or 50. After that, the total war against it, complete and total war, was against Christianity. And it still is today, as he damn well knows. Damn well knows. Look at the junk that gets pushed out by the BBC. I mean, this filthy junk. They call it entertainment. And again, there's, there's all, and every movie you get, there's always a slur on Christianity. Have you noticed that? So anyway, what's, what's really going on here? Because here's the, the next part um, from Mr. Clegg. Now, Nick Clegg, if you follow his ancestry, they were they came from Russia, you see. Just like lots of them in Britain, that run Britain now, came from Russia or Germany. And Nick Clegg uh, sneers at Mr. and Mrs. Britain. And he's a politician, of course. And he runs the other part of the government there. This is just 40 hours after David Cameron championed a call for a revival of Christian values. His liberal Democrat deputy plans to brand marriage an outdated concept. Oh, what a surprise. I've been telling this was all coming. 
See, we're progressing now to something. You know, we're on road to progress to that vague thing, you know, that, that vague whatever it is in the sky. It says, in a keynote speech, Mr. Clegg will suggest he sees no value in trying to preserve the institution of marriage, accusing the conservatives of being reluctant to embrace change. See, change is good, not term change. And the 21st century, all universities were telling the students, would be the century of change. But this never explained what changes they meant. The institutions of our society are constantly evolving. We're just evolving, you know. He, he will say, just look at the way the roles of men and women and attitudes to marriage and divorce have changed over the last century. We know that because we're paying for half of them. There's no dads anymore. We should not take a particular version of the family institution, such as the 50s model of suit-wearing bread-winning father and aproned homemaking mother. Well, I don't think anybody in Britain saw that except a few who ruled the country, because the rest of them were in working clothes, and uh, and often even the mother worked back then too. She had to. Everybody had to work, because the wages were so stinkingly poor. On purpose. But he's trying to give you this more of an American version of Leave it to Beaver. That's why open, open society liberals. Now, these are terms you've got to understand, open societies, and you have to go in and research what it means. Because they use these terms, and that this one here, big society, and big society conservatives will take a different view on a tax break for marriage. We can all agree that strong relationships between parents are important, but not agree that the state should use the tax system to encourage a particularly family form. Have you ever looked at nature? Nature has no time for any creature that doesn't reproduce itself. It kills them off, folks. That's nature. That's pure, simple, basic nature. So how are we evolving into something which is unnatural and, and, and something that nature wouldn't have around? In the annual Demos lecture, the Demos, by the way, the Demos is one of the biggest think tanks for communism. I'll call it communism. It used to be called for communism, but it's much higher than communism because communism was a front for something else. Mr. Clegg will paint liberals as progressives who believe the future can and ought to be better. Well, that's, that's very reassuring. It ought to be better. Define better. Well, Tories embrace change reluctantly. His comments will enrage not only conservative backbench MPs, but also, but also cabinet ministers who have championed a return to traditional family life to mend broken Britain. And by God, it's broken. I don't think you can fix it. It's too far gone. The culture is too perverted. And I mean that. The Conservative Manifesto allows plans for transferable tax allowance for 4 million married couples and civil partnerships worth $150 a year. At the time, Mr. Clegg branded the policy of patronizing drivel that belonged in the Edwardian age. Well, that's Mr. Clegg's job to say that because we all know what he is. And, and he's been told, he knows the agenda, and he's, they'll, they'll get coached, you understand, and, and trained for their agenda worldwide. And as we go down the tubes, and I saw this coming too, it's something you only saw with a certain type, uh, generally homosexual, like, like Daimer, uh, who used to eat his victims. And there's another one, a German couple recently, one guy, where he flew to Germany to meet his boyfriend they'd never met before. I guess it was all on email and exchanges. And he wanted his penis cut off and, and cooked in front of him and watched the guy eat it. That, that was to turn him on. No kidding. There's a lot of weird folk out there, folks. But as I say, once you deviate from nature, you get all kinds of deviancy coming from it. So they did that, but the guy died with hemorrhaging, and the other fellow got charged. 
But this is what turns folk on. You know. Dutch TV hosts are to engage in cannibalism and will eat parts of each other. How's that? Two Dutch TV hosts will tackle the burning question, what does human flesh taste like? In the new BNN TV show, it's just guinea pigs it's called, Dennis Storm and Valerio Zeno uh, will attempt to answer questions from visitors by directly testing them in the studio. Both TV hosts surgically removed a tissue from the buttock at a private clinic in Brabant. The meat with a size of about 2 to 3 inches has been stored in a freezer. The two will consume each other's meat in the first episode. Remember Damer Nem and lots of other ones uh, would, would cut them into pieces of their victims and keep them in the fridges and stuff and, uh, and have a bit of them every other day, you know. It's just different victims just for, you know, variety, I suppose. And so this is the, the latest fun for all you people out there who have gone down the tubes. And you'll probably get a good laugh at it or something. And you'll all talk about it. Oh, did you hear about it? Ooh, ooh. And that's as far as it goes. Meanwhile, you've been downloaded to all this stuff to come. And this article, too, is about Gingrich. Now, Gingrich belongs to a scientific society, although he isn't a scientist. He's the promoter for the society. And I've given talks, since, oh, a couple of, I've read a couple of his talks since 2001 onwards, where he talks about putting brain chips in the public, and they actually had the top scientists over in biotechnology from Japan who said they have them ready. The only thing they have to do now is work on the public to make them accept them. So there's another meeting uh, in another university here. The first one, I think, was was um, in a Jesuit university, or an old Jesuit-type university, and this one is in a different university of Iowa. And that strange way he has of lecturing potential votes, uh, voters rather than appealing to them, Newt Gingrich came to the University of Iowa last week to talk about brain science. He appeared, so they're, they're climbing down the chip bit, you see. He appeared in a medical school auditorium to tell his listeners about a very big idea. Now, how many times have I mentioned big idea and very big idea in this talk from all these different articles? See, this is to the initiated, you understand. This is why they put these up, that no other leader is willing to tackle Warming to the subject, he predicted a dramatic explosion of new science that would arise from a public-private research initiative to map the brain and maximize our understanding of how it works like they don't know already, right? Back after this break, folks. Here we are, folks, back cutting through the matrix, and I'll put this article about Gingrich up. This was just propaganda from him, and he's not the brightest of guys, you know. But uh, he certainly has a job to do, which is to indoctrinate us and get us all brain chip one day. And he's another one. This is it's strange. This is just one of these days where the articles come up one after another, and uh, that means there's an, all, an awful lot going on in the world that I'm going to tell you about, of course. It says, U.S. Mississippi mayor reveals he is gay after visiting a gay sex shop on City's Dime. And it says, a conservative Mississippi mayor has said he's gay after an audit showed he had the city pay for a wide range of personal expenses, including a visit to a gay sex store in Canada. So he's already, it's already interfering with his work, obviously, when he's, he's getting the city to pay for 
lots of expenses, personal expenses, and you might measure, maybe you don't want to measure what he's buying, but in gay sex stores. South Haven Mayor Greg Davis revealed publicly for the first time that he's gay and said he struggled to keep his sexuality from affecting his public role as mayor of Mississippi's third largest city. Well, it's not working, is it? At this point in my life and my career, while I've tried to maintain separation between my personal and public life, it's obvious that this can no longer remain the case. Davis told the Commercial Appeal, a Tennessee-based publication, while I have performed my job as mayor and, in my opinion, as a very conservative, progressive individual, he's certainly progressing towards something, and still continues to be a very conservative individual, I think it's important I discuss the struggles I have had over the last few years when I came to the realization that I'm gay, he says. So he goes on and on and on. How he, how he misused $170,000 city funds in both his city-issued and personal credit cards. According to the Commercial Appeal, an audit revealed he used city money to pay for thousands of dollars worth of liquor. That's for his people he gets all happy with, you know, that happy. Ex- extensive dinners and a $67 charge at Priapi, a Toronto store described by its website as Canada's premier happy lifestyle store and sex shop. He told uh, the newspaper that he doesn't remember why he purchased or what he purchased the store. The city visited on a recruitment trip for the <laughs> recruiting. Why? So anyway, um, you get these one things one after another. It shows you. See the wave I mentioned earlier on, and it takes a wave. All these different things come in waves, and it can take thirty years before they manifest. Uh, all through culture and do it through education, through all your movies, through all television, all media. That these are the uh, the PC. Parts. There's the upgrade society into the new uh, culture, and they call them waves, and we're seeing them all manifest now with, with that age group. You see, it's, it's coming, it's appearing all over the place. So it's been awfully successful. And at the same time, there's no, there's no uh, secret that though when they're talking about bringing in sexual education in schools. Uh, it was actually from, again, the Communist Manifesto, and they're all communists that worked on it. They said they had to destroy the family units and get them all into pre-pubertal sex. In other words, you, you hyper-drive them into uh, super sex, basically, till they're obsessed with it and they can't stay with one person. And again, with moral rel- relativity thrown in, uh, there's nothing wrong with just having multiple partners until you drop dead of, of one of the diseases or something, you know. Or, or you start eating each other or something. Anyway, this is the X-rated alternative to inadequate sex education. This is the, it's a, this is a kind of happy, happy, uh, you know, spiel here. And they go in about uh, uh, all the different kinds of sex. X-rated alternative to inadequate sex education. They go through anal sex as a matter of course. Everything's normal, blah, blah, blah. Women can get choked or gagged. It's all pornography should take over as a new sex educator, folks. Well... You know where it's all going. See, it's meant to go. It's a, it's a big idea. Well, from Hamilton, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>